Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at Camp CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Winning a national championship just got way more doable. Think Ole Miss. Chuck Oliver Show on a Monday. Hope wherever you are, it's just a wonderful day. And that um, if you're listening to us live, that's fantastic. Maybe you've got the podcast. Maybe you got the replay from the website, whatever it is. Thank you for coming here for two hours of college football conversation. We do it year-round. It's February 19th, just another day to us, talking college football. And because it's February 19th, and there isn't a game Saturday, and we aren't recapping a weekend full of action. We can talk biggest picture possible, which no bigger picture than winning a natty. And I'm telling you that right now, as we exist, this is not in the future other than, hey, it starts in September, like this season. A subset of programs now exist in college football. And there was never a reason for this distinction before. Could win over the course of a four-game season. No chance over a 13-game season. And when I say think Ole Miss, for my lifetime, through last football season, 2023, for my lifetime, and for almost everyone listening, almost for your lifetime, Ole Miss hasn't been a program that could win a national championship. Not really. You think of those programs, and you think even of those magical years with Ole Miss. It rarely looked the same. And if you want to tell me about a guard stepping on Eli's foot, that was real. If you want to tell me about beating Bama in back-to-back seasons, that's real too. That isn't what I'm talking about here. Those were individual Saturdays that you then had to string together to get to a national championship possibility. And so this is what I'm talking about. The type of program, the level of program, who until this expanded playoffs, when there were programs outside of the club that were required to be included in the field, Now it's different. For my lifetime, through the end of previous times, which is last year, Ole Miss has not been a program that could win a national championship. If you're listening to us in Mississippi or you're a Rebel supporter, you're thinking, that's not true. That's what I'm saying. Now it can win a title because of the diluted 
extended nature of the initial field. That's what most of us, myself included at times, have skipped past was I just was concentrating on whether Cincinnati could win two games against elite opponents like that. There were, and we knew there were better programs in Cincinnati. There were better teams in Cincinnati, but Cincinnati had strung together the undefeated season, and so Michigan State got the bid, and then we got uh, Cincinnati one year, and we almost got Boise. Like, we were right on the edge of getting Houston in there one year because of a requirement. You did get Michigan State. You did get Cincinnati. You got some teams. You got a Notre Dame team one year that everybody looked at and said, nah. But all of those teams could get in. And that's what I'm talking about. Ole Miss was a program. When I say it couldn't win a national championship, it couldn't win a national championship because it could not get into the field to win the title. Ole Miss could have been better than Cincinnati in Cincinnati's 13-0 year. Ole Miss could have never gained entry. Time was until 1998 – On the morning of January 1st, there might be three teams with a legit shot, a a legit claim. Here's our path to 12 hours from now, we're national champs. There might be three. They might be playing in three different bowl games. When that was the case, up until 1998, there was zero chance for Ole Miss to survive the season, a bowl, and then voters across America. And if you think I'm funning or joshing, folks, in the two-team playoffs circa 98 to 2013, Auburn is a way better program than Ole Miss. Auburn got told to step in a two-team era. Four-team? Nope. Ole Miss has never been good enough to win the SEC. And their status would never get them in as a second conference team. So that's what I'm talking about. Would Ole Miss have been good enough in the four-team era to have put together a two-game winning streak? Absolutely. The 13 games before that would have been too much for them to get in. So Ole Miss, no chance of winning a national title for at least half a century 12 team playoff begins this season i have old miss as one of my three teams i'm buying the next trip to harris we're going back there on thursday the uh, hey it's thursday the 20 uh, 21st i think we're going back on thursday the 21st and that day whatever the number is for old miss to win the national championship because they are now able to gain entry because they don't have you needed two things. Either win your conference, which be honest, even in the years where you beat Bama, even in the years where like in the middle of October we were talking about undefeated versus undefeated in the Egg Bowl. Not Oklahoma and Nebraska back in the day with Steve Taylor and Jamel Holloway. Perhaps Charles Thompson. Jamel Holloway. Not that. Egg Bowl undefeated versus undefeated. Even in those seasons, eventually, how did it really turn out? One year turned out with a Sugar Bowl victory that Mike Gundy still disputes. But those years, you still weren't good enough to get to Atlanta out of your own division, win in Atlanta, and if you didn't do that, 
you know, Ole Miss, you're in that big, giant, like 85% middle who would never get an at-large bid from the committee. So four chance, no, uh, four-team playoff era, no chance. 12-team playoff era, immediately a chance. You want another example? Go back and look at a team that did win a title. Georgia Tech in 1990. I dare say if we advanced the ball down the years, just, I mean, a few, to like 1998. Georgia Tech doesn't win the 1990 title at any point beginning in like 1998 when we had an assigned playoff, two-team playoff. Again, Auburn did everything possible in the SEC, and they were like, yeah, sorry. So Georgia Tech in 1990 out of the ACC, which at that point, it might have been a nine-team. I think Georgia Tech joined in like 81 or 82. They became a full member. I think Georgia Tech was the ninth ACC team. It was a tiny little Atlantic Coast-based conference. Not all that in football. Who tobacco road for hoops. Heck yeah, even I, it was unbelievable for basketball. But we're talking about college football in 1990. And I think Tech was the ninth ACC program. Might have been the eighth. Georgia Tech, out of the not really great ACC and a not very large field, they win the ACC. They go to the Citrus Bowl, have a noon kick against, I think, number 19, Nebraska. Georgia Tech doesn't win that 1990 title. They tied North Carolina, for gosh sakes. They don't win that at any point beginning with the structure of 98 or perhaps even sooner. If the ACC would have had a conference title game, might have happened even earlier. They weren't built for that and would not have played a 19th ranked team for the game to win the title. The 2014 Georgia Tech squad, remember what happened to them? They got on a little bit of a run, beat Georgia by scoreboard. They gave Florida State what for, but that actually was like a two-score game, and it was Florida State's, and then there was a late touchdown and blah, blah, blah. Georgia Tech was not going to win that ballgame. Um, but by scoreboard, it looked it was, it was close. They represented themselves fine. Florida State was undefeated. Playoff squad, Georgia Tech was not. Georgia Tech, Paul Johnson, and he's – I mean, Georgia Tech's – and Paul Johnson in particular – he was all about middle finger. He was like, you'd think I, my offense, and here we come. And they, I mean, picked apart a good Mississippi State SEC defense. That, I mean, Bernardrick McKinney, they didn't know if it was coming or going. And Georgia Tech did that to, again, a really, really outstanding defense from the SEC. Done the same thing to Georgia two games earlier. In between... They had made plays offensively against Florida State. Folks, Georgia Tech in 2014, they had no chance of getting in the field, was it? Could they have won those two games? Yes. They weren't built to survive the 13-game thing. You don't have to now. There you go. That, That is the outcome of the expanded playoffs. 
Georgia Tech in 2014, heck yes, they could have won two straight against that level. They weren't good enough to survive 13 games and be conference champs with a good enough record for a bid. Um, and by the way, they like they would have had no chance as well. I said Ole Miss, Georgia Tech's another example. No chance that the committee saying, you know what, you're not conference chance. By golly, look at you. We're putting you in. No, that's Ohio State and Bama territory, not Georgia Tech and Ole Miss territory. So getting in, yeah, gaining entry into the field was the actual barrier. We cut the ribbon on the 12-team era this here season, which means Ole Miss, Georgia Tech. Folks, there's like 10 or 11 programs that you look at that are in this middle ground, this little tiny subset that never existed. Because there was no reason to evaluate whether a team could rip off four straight like that. Getting into the field was the problem. Now, it's not. All right, it's Monday on Chuck Oliver Show. We're going to take a quick break. Come back. More next. Back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show on a Monday. And the impossible has occurred. The end of the rainbow just became Chuck E. Cheese. What I'm talking about is... Like, there was a Twilight Zone episode about this British passenger ship. And one of the passengers on it was the only one who figured out, hey, there's this Nazi warship out here. It's about to sink us. And he kept living this night over, and it would never end. It it turns out when he would look finally through the binoculars, he would see that he was the warboat commander. Spoiler alert, it was 65 years ago. Um over and over this nightmare unending to me that's going to Chuck E. Cheese um the last time not the most recent they may be out of business now by the way I don't know that not the most recent the last time I went to Chuck E. Cheese it was for a birthday party for third graders um that would be my version of that German like U-boat sinking us over and it just never ends would be I'm at this birthday party again and again and again. Being receivers coach for UGA right now, being receiver, I don't know how it was for Ray Golf or Jim Donnan or Mark Rick, I don't know. Being receivers coach for Georgia right now, I say pretty plush. Being passing game coordinator and receivers coach which comes with a raise that's that's good living apparently it's not good living enough to stay have we seen the story brian mcclendon who i've actually been a fan of his father for much longer willie mcclendon was his dad i guess is his dad um Willie McClendon was running back at Georgia back in the mid to late seventies. He was a draft pick of the bears and played a few seasons in the league, but Willie McClendon was a, a hoss. And I want to say 
he might have been the guy on that 76 team that played Pitt in the Sugar Bowl. That might have been Kevin McClee. But Willie McClendon was a monster. And he got himself into the NFL. Good for him. Well, his kid, Brian McClendon, played at Georgia as well. Um, had, a, I mean, a moment in the league, and then he's just been coaching since then. And he came back to UGA where he played, and so he went started coaching for Mark Richt. And he's had a successful career, and he's bounced around the SEC, went out to the West Coast for about 10 minutes, then now he's back, and he's been at Georgia. His alma mater getting broke off, coaching wide receivers, passing game coordinator, working with Mike Bobo, who's another OG from Athens. Like, all of this stuff, I'm telling you, and he's getting well paid. He just decided, yeah, I want to coach receivers for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now. Now, I will say, just on its face, whatever the money is, I'm sure it's fine. And I don't even know if he's about money, but you don't get like seriously wealthy coaching receivers in the NFL or in college. Um, you can live really comfortably, but it's not like generational sort of wealth. Like for a head coach, like Nick Saban, that's generational wealth. But you can do pretty well. And having the NFL on your resume, like there's all sorts of reasons to take that job. And Tampa, Tampa gets a bad rap, and I don't know. Oh, actually, I'm going to say as Tampa gets a bad rap, I don't know why. I know two whys it gets a, a, a bad rap. Uh, it's red. Oh, get in line. All right, we're in Florida. We're in Georgia. We're in Alabama. I go to the Florabama because it's red. Um, so t- is Tampa red? Sure. Um, and there's no beach, at least not that I know of. There's no beach in Tampa. Other than that, back off Tampa. It's it, Tampa's great. Um, so he's down there coaching wide receivers for the Buccaneers now. So you can't even say the, ge- the specific geography of it, like I said. Name, image, likeness has turned coaching wide receivers at UGA when it's your alma mater. And you are in this sweet spot that the program is not ex- existing in, living in, bathing in. Name, image, likeness has turned UGA wide receiver coach for Brian McClendon into an endless birthday party for third graders at Chuck E. Cheese. Every day. (laughs) And he decided, no, McClendon out. And he's at Tampa. Folks, coaching matters. Coaching matters. Coaching matters. And there has always been motivation. I told you, you know, Tosh Lupoy, I think he was told, why don't you go to the league for a couple of years? Just kind of get away from college. Um, there are other guys who were in college and was like, I'm going to go to the league. It'll make me a better recruiter back when that helped. I can get you to the league. Now guys are like, what about name members like now? So like the skill set, the value, the extrapolated out value of what some recruiters do has become lessened um, because of name image likeness. And for a guy like Brian McClendon, you're talking about like 40-year-old man at his alma mater at the level they're at this very second. And he's coaching wide receivers and getting fat stacks and plus hardware every January, some sort of ring. Maybe like the when you win the national t- title, I hope we, you get three rings. I've seen this for SEC teams. You would get the SEC championship. 
somehow you would get the BCS national championship ring, but then you would also get a ring from the actual game. So, the like, if you were in the Rose Bowl or the Sugar Bowl or even in just those stadiums, so you get like three rings. McClendon getting all of them. I was at Vince Dooley's house one time. I'm not dropping names. We're broadcasting there. I, I, Barbara, just a treasure. Love that lady. Um, Vince Dooley had the cool. I, I was impressed by this. Apparently, this is a thing. Um, Vince Dooley had this coffee table where, hey, have you seen this? The, the like the lid would lift up, and he had it was just deep enough so you can lay stuff in there. He had all his rings and medals and all this other stuff in there. He must have had forty rings in there. That's Brian McClendon right now. He decided Tampa. Mm, I'll do that on Sundays instead. Yeah, you know, the one thing I would say, Chuck, I think some people are painting with the brush just of, hey, everybody wants out of the college ranks right now just to to go. This is a move that I think might have even made sense five years ago for McClendon if you look at it. Because, yeah, okay, now it's a little more chaotic than before, but he's at a place where he said his ambition is to be a coordinator, be a head coach. Well, Bobo's not going anywhere for the next few years as coordinator, you don't think. Kirby's certainly not going anywhere, and you're not getting a head coaching role without getting some coaching experience before then anyway. So if you kind of feel like you've topped out with what you can do in your current spot, then, then moving to the pros and adding that to the resume makes some sense. And and I would even say this, Chuck, if you look at USF and you look at Gullish, their coach, if he has another year anywhere near as good as his first year, there's a really good chance USF's going to be looking for a new head coach in the next year or two. Somebody's going to come pluck him out of there. And being in town already making some connections, an established receiver coach for a national title program, high-level recruiter. Now you have the credibility of being on the Bucks staff. Like, McClendon might be able to get himself in the mix for a job at USF better from that job than he would have been from Tampa. So I'm just saying it could make some sense what he's doing here, even in the non-chaotic world. It absolutely makes sense. Uh, I was thinking like Todd Grantham. I think I set him as an example. Maybe he was at Virginia Tech, and he's like, "I want to go to the league because I want what you know kids want to hear on the recruiting show." Every word you said not only quote makes sense as you said. I'm sure some of it actually is in play. New sentence: He wouldn't have left prior to name image likeness. Would have stayed where he was at his alma mater, in my opinion. The king of college. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at Camp Margaritaville Lanier Islands.com. In today's fast paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at LGECCU.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. 
football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. It's Monday on the Chuck Oliver Show. Appreciate everybody coming here for your college football conversation today. I was mentioning Todd Grantham earlier, and I said, I think he was at Virginia Tech, and then he went, went to the league. Oh, he was at Virginia Tech, and then he went to the league. Um, played at Virginia Tech, and then he started coaching at defend, uh, Virginia Tech, coaching basically on the line, ends, tackles, the whole thing, whatever it was. He just stayed on the line. And then after like six years at his alma mater, he realized, well, this Bud Foster guy, he might be entrenched. I might have to wait, wait years, right? decades is what it really was. But in 1995 or 96, he was like, I may have to wait years to get this job. So he went to Michigan State for a minute, and then he went to the NFL for 10 years. He came back as assistant head coach, defensive coordinator in the SEC. That's what time in the league can do traditionally for an assistant coach. Um, and so going to the league is not from college and seeing this path folks it's happened and happened and happened forever it's happening i think for different reasons now um we have roddy is he ready i want to welcome on right now ugasports.com it's a rivals thing it's roddy nabulsi roddy welcome to the program brother how you been it's been fantastic thanks for having me on uh let's talk Brian McClendon, because, you know, I talked about Todd Grantham and he was at his alma mater and all this other stuff. Um, All of that applies to Brian McClendon. I don't know. As long as Bobo's there, he ain't going to be OC. Um, But I think there's more at play here. I think it's that being in college is not as fun as it used to be. Um, That's part of it, part of that pie graph. Tell me all about Brian McClendon and being on the way to the NFL. Well, for me, a lot of people say, well, here's another defection from the college ranks to the NFL. It's all because of name, image, and likeness and pay for play and uh, the transfer portal. And everybody hates it. And college football is awful. And it's never going to be the same. It's the end times. And they're, you know, wearing their hair shirts, beating them, beating their chest and just uh, basically prophets of doom. And I'm like, guys. People go to the NFL all the time. It's a great thing. James, I mean, uh, 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 Todd Munkin went to the NFL, came back. He's back in the NFL. Uh, Nick Saban did it. Was Nick Saban trying to get away from NIL back in the day? I mean, come on. It's just if you want to grow as a coach, sometimes you have to get out of the way people perceive you. And Brian McClendon is perceived as a Georgia guy. He played football there. He did, a, what, an eight-year stint. Then he went to South Carolina, Oregon. I uh, came back to Georgia. Sometimes if you want to grow professionally, you have to break out of your the, the, the pigeonhole that people have put you into, and he's seen as a Georgia guy. So here's a chance for him to go to the NFL, and you prove that you're not just a great recruiter. In college, if you have the best players, you're considered a great recruiter, and you know maybe you're a good coach, but you know if you've got George Pickens, it's pretty – George Pickens is going to do George Pickens' things. But now he's been able to take, you know, two and three and four stars and make them into very good players. And he's shown that he can do it at a you know, very high level. But if he really wants to prove it, you got to do it at the NFL where everybody has the best players. So I think this is a good move for Brian McClendon. I think he'll do a few years there, and he will become very highly coveted. It's the one of the marks on your resume. He's got NFL experience. Every time Georgia hires somebody or Alabama hires somebody or Tennessee or Tech, 
if that guy has NFL experience, that's always a big plus for them. You command more money. Mm-hmm. You know, you've done it at that level. And if he stays in the league, he can get paid a lot of money. Have you seen the NFL retirement for coaches? It's fantastic. So I'm just saying, instead of us uh, crying NIL and transfer portal, which are a giant pain in the butt, it's not as much fun to coach college football as it used to be. It's a lot more to it, and it never stops. But sometimes it's just career advancement. Go, you know, uh, for, personally, I went to ESPN for a while. When I came back from ESPN, I could get a job anywhere I wanted because I'd been at the highest steel level ever, and that was uh, I could write my own ticket. I didn't even enjoy it there, but the point was I had done it, and I had that mark on my resume. So I think this is a good move for Brian McClendon. He goes to the NFL, comes back, uh, maybe comes comes back as a offensive coordinator somewhere. But to your point, yeah, Mike Bobo's not going going anywhere. He's not going to be the OC at Georgia anytime soon. But if he's got NFL experience, I guarantee you there will be a lot of schools lined up to make him the OC or the head coach somewhere. Where's Kirby go? How do you mean? Uh, hiring a coach next. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. See, if you would have said Philadelphia Eagles, I would have like, all right, <laughs> get that clip. We're leading with it. Uh, where does Kirby go to replace yeah, Brian McClendon? I know your your tricks there. You start trying to set me up. I've avoided that trap. Uh, I think I think he goes. What does Kirby look for? He looks for strong recruiters and great developers. And I think in that order. So if you want strong recruiters and uh, good developers, and maybe somebody, it's just like the transfer portal. He likes to get guys in the transfer portal that he's either recruited or played against. You know, i.e. Uh, when they went to get Ra Ra Thomas from Mississippi State, they had seen him. When they went and got uh, Dominic Lovett in Missouri, they played against him. You know, the guys that they are proven. And I think it'll be the same with this coaching scenario. I think he's got a really large Rolodex. Hundreds of coaches are going to call him, try to get that job. But I could see him going after Joe Cox, you know, the guy who's uh, been, I think he's at Ole Miss now. He just yeah. got hired over there. Uh, he was, Joe Cox was with uh, Mike Bobo at multiple stops. He knows the system Mike likes to run. He's a great recruiter. He's a great developer. He's done it. I could see him going Brandon Streeter, who's already on the staff right now. Brandon Streeter, the offensive analyst, you know, the uh, architect of the Clemson success with his recruiting and his offensive coordinating stuff. Uh, he, he's already in the building. You just move him to a different office. And uh, another name I keep I keep throwing out there, and people keep uh, losing their minds over, is James Coley. This is a guy that uh, was you know Georgia former offensive coordinator, and people get mad about that. But I'm like, do you remember why he was moved up to offensive coordinator? It's because he brought in all the kids from Miami and South Florida. Yep. He's one of the best recruiters in the nation. He's at South Carolina now. Uh, he's 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 uh, uh, coached wide receivers before. He's been on uh, Kirby Smart's staff. If you get James Coley back and uh, his recruiting uh, ability, I'm like, why would you not do that? So I just think there's a lot of guys that are going to, you know, knock down Kirby Smart's door to get on staff and uh, coach up his players. Now, I, I just I want to tell you, this is just due diligence. I do it whenever, uh, like, a major program loses a coach. I go and check, like, any decommitments, any effect on the recruiting trail, and Kirby's almost immune to that stuff. Um, and it's funny because I went and looked, and the first thing I could find, the most up-to-date information, right after Brian McClendon leaves, the very next story is about this big, giant in-state receiver, Thomas Blackshear, and then a four-star offensive lineman, Zaire Addison. Um, so apparently there, this is just like you know, Todd Munkin left and it didn't upset stuff. Um, if you want to talk about these two recruits or just where they are in, in general, just any tidbit for a Georgia fan listening. 
Oh, man, I love Zaire. <laughs> kid, uh, I, I, he's one of my favorite kids I saw in uh, Orlando a week ago. Went down to the Under Armour camp down there. He, he was lights out. Uh, yesterday in Carrollton, where the home of Juju Lewis, the five-star number one quarterback for the class of 2025, he just reclassified from you know, being a sophomore to a junior. Uh, he's a USC commit. He's the number one player in the state of Georgia. Could be the number one player in the country, even though he's reclassified. He's moved up a year. That's how good he is. Uh, we were at uh, Carrollton yesterday with about 200 kids. We spoke to, I think, last call, we spoke to 30 different guys about Georgia. There is no uh, drop on the recruiting trail when it comes to Kirby Smart and the fact that, oh, they didn't win the third national title. You know, they that that the shine is not off of Georgia Star. All the kids are raving about it. Now, one kid, Travis Smith Jr., who's a very big talent, and Georgia wants a lot, he said losing Brian McClendon hurt. He said, I really loved him. You know, I was really excited about it. But the next things out of his mouth were, I have faith that Kirby Smart will hire the right guy. So, uh, you're right. I mean, even losing Todd Munkin didn't really derail Georgia's uh, class. They just signed the number one class, and it's been a really good chance of signing the number one class again this year based on the 2025 kids we spoke to. Last thing for you, um, and there's always, like, perception. And, you know, like, I've heard from Florida State fans, that whole thing about facilities is overblown. Our facilities are fine, and they got better and all this other stuff. Um, I've actually heard, I'm going to pick three lettermen, Buck Ballou, who played quarterback in 1980, Matt Stinchcomb, who was an All-American in 97, 98 maybe, and then Hudson Mason, who well, he started in 14 at quarterback. Across that time span, they have talked about various aspects of either the locker room, the coaches' offices, the weight room, that to them – yeah, they understood like, oh, yeah, well, that was still there when I was there. Um, talk about what Kirby, his intent was when he showed up and then where they are right now because there are some very real, tangible, easy to identify. Like this is leaps forward in what's now been just, what, nine years? Yeah, it's, it's unreal. When, when Kirby came in, he had a laundry list of things that he wanted. Remember, he had an offer on the table from South Carolina to go be the coach there. You know, in Florida, uh, Georgia's like, hey, let's uh, – we got to get him. We, we got to stop what we're doing. You know, Mark Rick's out, Kirby Smart's in. But to that point, he knew how he had recruited against Georgia. He knew how other people were doing it, and he knew what Georgia needed. And he, he, he got a lot of promises of the administration, and many of those were, look, you've got to update your facilities. I was promised when I came here we'd have a new locker room in the stadium. I'm still in that same locker room. That is unacceptable, and I was here 20 years ago. Come on. And that's He's gotten that. The West End Zone remodel, the uh, locker room, they, they built him a real indoor facility, which he didn't have before, and then they built him a new football building. So we're talking, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars thrown into the football program, not from the school. This isn't money coming out of the art department. This is, you know, people contributing this money uh, to make the team better. And when you talk, again, we talked to, you know, 30-some-odd kids yesterday, and the ones that have visited Georgia, when they talk about it, they're like, man, the facilities there, it feels like a Bataj Mahal. When you go in that weight room, you know they have all the machines to make you better. They talk about the recovery. They talk about the academic plan and, you know, having its own academic building. The kids that come to Georgia, we always do this because we cover recruiting every day. We, we always talk about the visit effect. When a kid actually visits Georgia and sees these things, instead of looking at them in a picture, you know, uh, like coffee table recruiting book Georgia puts out. When you actually go in person, it changes your perception of the University of Georgia. You can go in there thinking they're good, but yeah, 
Alabama's good, Tennessee's good, Florida's good, Florida State's good, but you go to Florida State and then you come to Georgia, and it changes your outlook a little bit. So if Georgia can get them on campus, the percentage of those guys coming to the University of Georgia to play there goes up on every visit, and that is mainly due to the investments Georgia's made in doing that. They spend more on recruiting than any other team in the nation, and it shows. By the way, Roddy knows the Georgia program as well as anybody. He's a West End Zone. He knows what he's talking about. You do not want to be a north-south runner in in Athens. You'll run out of bounds if you are a north-south runner. Uh, Correct, Roddy? Absolutely correct. (laughs) So be a north-south runner, I'm like, not for Georgia. Uh, Roddy, thank you for coming on program, man. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, UJSports.com. Yes, that's one of those phrases that all coaches have. you got to be a north-south runner. That means don't dance. Don't try to bounce everything outside. A freshman and then a rookie in the NFL, they are used to, if they're good enough to get a college scholarship as a running back, that means on Friday nights they were almost every single carry they could get to the edge just because I'm good enough to play at Tennessee now. So on Friday nights against the sophomore who is struggling in English and still takes social studies and has PE and has detention after school. Like that's, I'm a college running back and I'm going against that kid. I can get to the edge. I can reach the corner. Show up as a freshman and suddenly that blocking is not exactly there in the middle. I'm going to bounce it outside. You know how hard it is to lose nine yards on a running play? In college, it's going to be a lot of times a freshman. In the NFL, you know how hard it is to lose, like, what did the Chiefs do in the Super Bowl? I think they had a rushing attempt where Isaiah Pacheco lost 11 yards. He's a second-year player. He's a really good second-year player. Bounce it outside. So we come up with these phrases, run north and south. Well, the way the stadium is in Athens, <laughs> that's not what you want. So, all right, uh, we break. We wrap up next. More college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. You've got to dominate this region and create incredible relationships and get on guys earlier than other people because, again, we're going to have access that nobody else has because we're closer. So uh, that's a huge deal for us as we build this thing to go sustain. Uh, there are there are great players in this region. There's great players in this state. And that, to me, is, is a huge advantage for us as we move forward. <laughs> Jeff Webby, Mississippi State head coach, and like the middle 90% of what he said was true. That first part about dominate the region, that's never, ever going to happen. If SEC football lasts for another 100 million years, Mississippi State will never dominate even the state of Mississippi in recruiting. Not on anything more than just a one-off basis because Jeffrey Simmons, was Jeffrey Simmons from the state? I think he was. An in-state five-star picks you, and then you add some four-stars, and you're like, all right, we dominated in-state this one year. That was the first part that wasn't true. That last part, and then he said like 95% everything he says, we're going to build good relationships. I believe he will. He says we're going to get on kids first. I think that'll happen as well. Said a lot of other stuff. Then he got to the final part that wasn't in that 95%, and he said, and so that's a huge advantage for us. That part's not true. Do you know what is true? 
I don't, this is just, he said it, not me. What is true, there's almost nothing that is a giant advantage for Mississippi State in recruiting. There's almost nothing that ever is a giant. Here's what's an advantage. Um, Eric Moulds decides to populate the world with five-star receiver sons. Like he and his wife become the McCaffreys of Mississippi. And by golly, they want nothing more than to play for state. So, like, if that happens, I think they got a shot. I don't know. Heath, any other scenario than, like, Eric Moulds has five kids and they're all five stars and they all want to play for dad's alma mater? Any other way Mississippi State's going to dominate anything in recruiting? Um, I guess if there was just a big population boom in Starkville, maybe, but that's about it. And literally in the, like, city, like, it has to be as micro-connected as possible. He didn't say, hey, Chuck, maybe Mississippi high school football explodes. He went, he crystallized it, if in Starkville, where you grow up in the shadows of cowbells. I'm not trying to to highlight this. He highlighted this. This is something I actually brought up, if you remember. What is this, February? I think I brought this up in maybe November. In fact, no, it it was. When they fired Zach Arnett, and then right, yeah, when they hired Jeff Levy, so December. I said, do we realize that Mississippi State just became the hardest job in the entire SEC? What about Vanderbilt? No, Vanderbilt's the job where you're going to win the fewest games. You'll win more at Mississippi State. Mississippi State just became the hardest job in the conference. Because part of it is Vanderbilt, like I said, you are already going to lose most likely. What does Oklahoma and Texas coming into the conference really do to the Doors' chances of pulling off a 500 season? Not a whole lot. You already were overwhelmed with the schedule. Mississippi State, OU and Texas comes into the conference at the same time that you have a first-time ever head coach and Lane's doing what he is up in Oxford. So, no, no, we're going to dominate that last part or uh -uh, where he said big advantage. There's nothing that's a big advantage other than like a micro connection on the level of a former All-American having a kid and that kid has to play for dear old dad's school. Or as he said, I don't know, suddenly something in the water in Starkville. We become like Houston and Starkville. That's where you go for high school option quarterbacks and linebackers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Houston and and Starkville. Something happens. So barring that, everything he said in the middle, though, and I believe that, and I'm I'm 100%. He said good relationships. Absolutely. Get on them first. I think they'll identify talent. A lot of it will be first. Alabama doesn't have to be first. Georgia doesn't have to be first. Florida State doesn't have to be first. Steve Sarkeesian doesn't have to be first. Steve Sarkeesian come in, like, when you were first, like, four months later, Steve Sarkeesian show up, hey, I'm Steve Sarkeesian. I coach at Texas. And they're like, oh, I'm going to decommit now. That's that's how it really does happen. Heath, how's your Monday? Well, it's better than Sam Horn's. Uh, Sam Horn, for those who might not have seen it over the weekend, 
is out for the year for both football and baseball at Missouri. Uh, and it's just a reminder, Chuck, that you know signing day is great, but you just don't know how things are going to go after Horn when Eli Drinkwitz got him. This was a huge deal. Four-star quarterback out of the Atlanta area. Missouri's not supposed to be able to come in and get a talent like that out of the Atlanta area. And he gets him, and he's a baseball draft prospect, but he doesn't play baseball. He's going to be at Mizzou. Only threw six passes last year. And now UCL injury, Tommy John surgery, going to miss the whole year of baseball, not expected to be available for football. That's a a year-plus injury. It wouldn't even be a shock, Chuck, if he's not available for spring practice next year for football. True. And given that Brady Cook stayed healthier last year but has had health issues in the past, this is now, if you're Missouri, this is a genuine issue for your depth chart. I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and try and find somebody that they could grab in the portal after spring that might be a guy with some experience that's willing to come in and and keep their fingers crossed that maybe with Cook there's a chance for them to play a little bit if he either gets banged up or just get in if games have been kind of taken comfortably under control. But uh, for Horn, I mean, look, I hope for the kid that everything turns out fantastic long term, but this is an example of a guy who had a lot of promise and maybe it's never going to quite work out the way he or his family hoped it would. Yeah, it's working out, for instance, for like Luther Burden III. <laughs> it's working out in spades for that kid. He's From the first time I saw him, I was like, all right, he can do it. Um, Sam Horn, you're right. He was a four-star, big, good-looking kid, big four-star quarterback out of the Atlanta area who went past a lot of offers to get up to Como, and he's now two full seasons and will be third with no action. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at LGECCU.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps it $5 minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.